Well, good morning, church. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. I'm glad you're here, and I'm glad to be with you. Um, I'm really thankful for Teen Challenge and for the ministry that they brought last week. Uh, that was a very special time together. I feel like it was a powerful time whenever we hear testimonies of people whose lives have been changed. Amen? And so uh, it's a powerful thing for us to walk out with, but also the challenge that I had this week was I should share my story with someone, and I did. Nothing great, amazing, magical happened, but I did. I obeyed. And I want to challenge you to do the same thing. Share your story, the story of faith and what God's brought you through. Uh, Talk to your kids, your grandkids. Share with a friend. Uh, Talk about what God is doing in your life. And if if he's not doing something in your life, pray that he does something in your life and keep showing up to church because he always does good stuff here. Amen? That was supposed to be louder. Amen? All right, great. So last week we had Teen Challenge, but uh, we're in our series called Holy Spirit. We're talking about the person and the purpose of the Holy Spirit. Um, In the first week, we talked about him um, and really who is he. We said that he's our helper, he's our friend, and he's not weird. Somebody say amen. Uh, And he is our God. Then in the second week of the series, we talked about him being a person and having a personality, that he has a mind, will, and emotions uh, just like us, that he can be grieved. And we talked about what grieves him, what breaks his heart, what breaks God's heart is when people are far from him and when they're choosing to go far from him, right? So uh, we talked about that. And today in week three, I want to answer a pretty funny question, I think. Um, and here is the title of today's message. It's this question. Is he Pentecostal? Is the Holy Spirit Pentecostal? Um, so I know it's an interesting title, uh, and I'm sure most of us would assume, well, wait, I think we associate Pentecost with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to talk to you about what that looks like today and talk to you about some of the benefits of the Holy Spirit. But first off, I need to tell you what Pentecostal doesn't mean, okay? So if you're taking notes or if you just want to lock this in your brain, uh, it doesn't mean that women can't wear makeup or pants or cut their hair or wear jewelry. <laughs> all, the, all the ladies are like, yes, freedom! Um, In the southern context, in the Bible Belt of the South, uh, there's this misunderstanding and there's misinformation that if someone says the word Pentecostal, that must mean they wear their hair in a bun, a floor-length dress. Modesty is awesome. That's a wonderful thing. Uh, But we need to understand Pentecostal is a spiritual term from the Bible that doesn't have to do with this outward sort of display of what we're wearing or not wearing. Uh, it also, there's a pocket of people that say that men can't have facial hair, can't wear shorts, and can't wear short sleeves. I don't know if you've ever come across some of this stuff, but if you've read the Bible, Jesus had a beard. I'm trying to be like him. <laughs> okay? Jesus had a beard. Um, it doesn't mean dancing around with snakes or swinging from chandeliers. When I got to this church six years ago, we took out the chandelier. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> we're like, what? They're, they're, never mind. Um, anyway, uh, we have never brought a snake willingly in this building. I have caught one that was, that snuck through a door sometime, but we did not bring it on stage to dance around with it. We're not wacky. Okay. Um, and neither is God. 
I want you to know this. I shared with my students, um, I moonlight as a Bible teacher at Clinton Christian Academy. And I shared with my students, um, on Wednesdays, we share stupid news and life lessons. And stupid news uh, recently was about a church in Kentucky. I'll let that just sink in. Okay. I don't know if you're from Kentucky or have family there, but a church in Kentucky in the mountains uh, where these people uh, dance around with snakes. And the pastor who was the previous pastor actually died as a result of a snake bite. And then his son became the pastor and his son, the picture went onto the news of this big old Bubba with like overalls carrying the pastor out of the church to rush him to the hospital because he got bit by a venomous snake that they were using in their worship service. Let me tell you what, if you show up in this place with a snake, I will call the police and animal control, okay? We are not doing that. But there's this misconception because we hear the word, oh, that was First Pentecostal Church of so-and-so in the news, and it has this wacky detail about somebody with a snake. Listen, there's like a small handful of churches somewhere that are way off theologically, and they have that word Pentecostal with them, but then Pentecostal gets a bad rap everywhere as a result, Okay, so we've got to understand it doesn't mean swinging from chandeliers. I had a friend uh, send me a video about um, a revival that happened, and I do that in air quotes on purpose, a revival that happened in some church where they videoed it, and someone, I don't know if it was a board member or somebody on the front row, got up on the stage, and they were dancing on the wooden pulpit, jumping up and down, dancing around, and going on and on and on. And I thought, so help me God, if any of y'all do that in this place, like we're, we're not talking about being weird, okay? So I want you to just lock that in your head that Pentecostal does not mean weird. There have been some weirdos <laughs> with the name Pentecostal in their title, but that does not mean they are biblical Pentecostal believers. Uh, it also doesn't mean that we deny the Trinity. There's a group of churches um, known as the United Pentecostal Church churches. They believe in something called the oneness doctrine, or they say the words Jesus only. Um, We believe in a triune God, in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We believe in that with all of our heart, and we don't believe that um, Jesus can be separated out to be the only thing to be worshipped. We've got to understand God is comprehensive in that unity of those three um, expressions, you would say, of personality. So we've got to understand that we are sane people, that we believe in the Bible, And you can read any version of the Bible. It doesn't have to be King James only. Somebody say amen. Okay? So there's this idea that if you're Pentecostal, you have to read these and thous. If you don't say those words at the water cooler at work, then those aren't the words that will keep you interested when you read them on the page and you're trying to grow spiritually. Right? If you're having such a hard time understanding it, that's why we make our messages here as practical and as simple as we can. Not to dumb it down or water it down, but to make it easily accessible for everybody so that we understand what's our next step to grow in our faith. That's what's really important. Um, It doesn't mean that you have a license to act like an idiot or blame foolish behavior on God. Here's the big deal. Fleshly excess, okay, people acting in the flesh and in their own emotion have unfortunately tarnished the Holy Spirit's reputation. They've given him a bad rap. The Holy Spirit is not weird, but the supernatural always looks super to the natural. 
So fleshly excesses are not the norm. They are the exception. And your pastor is telling you, based on what I understand in God's word, they are wrong. Um, We have stopped fleshly excess that has tried to happen in this church. I'm the leader and the pastor of this church. I have the authority to do that. If somebody starts acting out of order, we call that to order because our God is a God of order in the midst of chaos. That doesn't mean that you can't express yourself and speak out prayer to the Lord and things like that, but we're not gonna let that weirdness in here because the problem is that weirdness trips people up and then they don't come back, right? So we've got to be sensitive to that. We've got to understand that. All right, so Pentecostals are not a cult. Some act like it, uh, but that is not the majority. Pentecostals, I also would say, are not too emotional. I think, here's the thing. Somehow we reserve emotion for a funeral, (laughs) a touchdown, praise God, um, or a sad movie or a happy movie. And we think that's the only moment that we can express emotion. But here's the deal. God saved me and set me free. And I'm reminded of that when I sing a song that talks about his grace and his goodness. So I lift my hands. I probably look like an air traffic control person with the, you know, whatever. But here's the deal. I'm opening myself up to the Lord. I'm not doing anything that would be distracting to others because I want everybody to engage. I want you to sing. God wants you to sing. He actually commands us to worship him. When we clap our hands, that's a biblical expression of worship. So those sorts of things are normative to us. They may not be normative everywhere else, but I I hate that people have gotten a bad rap about being too emotional. Um, The other thing, there's only two more in this category. The other thing is Pentecostals do use medicine and doctors. Somebody say, thank you. Yes, Okay, there's a, there's a group of people somewhere that might have had the word Pentecostal in the title of their church that chose not to get medicine or treatment for cancer or their diagnosis or whatever. But we have medical professionals in our church membership. We just sent two people uh, to Africa back in May who have moved their entire life and livelihood all the way across the world for medical missions. We believe in it with all our heart. The world is hurting spiritually and physically, and God uses doctors and medicine and miracles. Amen? So all three of those things uh, combine. And the last thing is Pentecostals don't think that only tongue-speaking Christians are true believers. So um, I have heard something when I was little. I grew up in Pentecostal churches, and um, at some point it seemed like maybe there was... um, People were looked down upon if they weren't those who spoke in tongues, like they're not yet fully matured believers or something. And that is a no-no in this place and in this church. In our fellowship of churches, it's a no-no because we don't want to do anything that would demean somebody else and their spiritual growth. I asked several weeks ago, some of you might not have been here in that service. I asked several weeks ago, how many of you have ever been hurt in a church before. I'd like to do the same thing today. Raise your hand. Whatever it was, somebody hurt your feelings, somebody did something that was wrong to you. There's a bunch of us. We know what that feels like. And so with God's grace, his strength, with his love, we don't want to be those people to anybody else. Amen? Amen. So, but if by Pentecostal, we mean the biblical understanding of the word Pentecost and that we fully believe in the person and the work of the Holy Spirit, both then in those days in Acts as well as now. 
and that we believe the Holy Spirit was given as a fulfillment of a promise from God, we believe that every believer has accessibility to the Holy Spirit and can be baptized in the Holy Spirit, then yes, we are Pentecostal and so is the Holy Spirit. (laughs) So let me explain to you a little bit about what Pentecost is. But before I do, I wanna tell you this. We have got to be believers who base our lives on God's word. There are lots of times that people talk to me about a problem or, or a situation they're going through. And in the middle of counseling, we'll talk about their spiritual growth and how often or frequent they read the Bible. And not just church attendance, because church attendance won't get you into heaven. Right? Okay? So we've got we've to look at it like this. And then I say, hey, what, what have you searched out in God's word about this situation? What has God been speaking to you in your quiet time with him on the daily and you'd be surprised at the dumb looks I get from time to time. Wait, what? No, I just, pastor, I just need a band-aid right now. I'm not doing my devotions. I really don't care. I'm not giving or serving the church, but I've got this crisis and I really need God. So give me an answer. So we've got to live our lives according to God's word. The truth is his word stands true in every era of time. In today's day and age, popular culture wants to say, oh, that's an ancient book with some stupid rules that shouldn't apply anymore. We're so much better and so much more modernized. No, the truth of the matter is, is God's word is timeless. It trumps every culture, every subculture, every human preference, every human opinion, and every man-made tradition. God's word is supreme over all that stuff. His word is truth regardless of how you feel about it. His word is true, no matter how it makes you feel. The point is, if we're reading God's word and allowing it to be inside of us, we'll understand more about the Holy Spirit. We won't shy away from it because we'll understand he's an integral part of who our God is. And then not only that, but we won't believe all the stuff that other people say. We'll be believing what God's promise is and what it says about the situation we're going through. So we have got to be people of the word of God. We've got to read it. We've got to know it. We've got to search it out for the answers that we need. We've got to believe it and live according to it. Amen? So here's your challenge today. And you say, Pastor, you're stepping on my toes. It's been a long time since I read the Bible. Do it. Do it this week. Do it today. Did you know you can read the Bible outside of church on a Sunday? <laughs> no, I mean, I'm serious, right? Like you can read the Bible. And you know, I find myself, and don't laugh at me because I know that you do this too. You're in bed, checking Facebook, playing your game before you go to sleep, doing whatever you do. You can take a moment to read God's word. There are apps. There are dozens of versions of the Bible. Get God's word inside of you. Trust me. You pay me to say this, and God wants me to say it, but trust me, your life will be better with more of God's word inside of you. You can't go wrong. Amen? You can't go wrong. So we've got to remember, Hebrews 4.12 says that the word of God is alive. It's the only living book there is. And it's active, sharper than any double-edged sword, and it judges the thoughts and the intentions or the attitudes of the heart. So we must believe not only the good news that Jesus came, but also the good news that the Holy Spirit was given as a gift to the church. 
The good news is that Jesus did come to save us. Amen? But it's also that the Holy Spirit came to change us. There are many people who are, who are going to churches all over the city, all over the world today, even in this room today, and you've been struggling with something that you cannot change, and the truth is you can't change it without the Holy Spirit's help. So we've got to understand, today is not a self-motivation sort of idea, although the world is full of books and talks about that. Today is a motivation for you to understand there's some work you've got to put in in your relationship with God, and that involves you opening yourself up to the Holy Spirit and to God's Word. So let's look today at Acts chapter 2. Um, go with me in your Bibles. The verses will be on the screen. You could also use our Wi-Fi and go on your Bible app if you'd like to do that. It says this in Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Verse four, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Verse five says, now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. I may have read that too fast for you, but I, I want to give you the, the summation of it, okay? These people are gathered. A loud noise happens. There are people that have been seeking God and his presence. And all of a sudden, it says that a crowd gathered much like they would if you heard squealing tires and that kind of thing or a loud boom. Everybody would run to a window and look. They're in Jerusalem and they've been waiting for the promise of the Father. The Bible says the Holy Spirit was promised of the Father. Jesus said, when I leave, I don't want you left alone. I want you to have the Holy Spirit. He's coming. He is the promise of the Father. So then when he shows up, some strange, supernatural things begin to occur. But it produced life change because it says that the people who were filled with the Holy Spirit began to speak in other languages. They didn't get a gift to just speak in Chinese if they spoke you know, some European language and now they speak Chinese. They didn't get a gift like that for no reason. They got it. And another section of scripture says they began declaring the gospel, the truth of God's word in every language. So the people were bewildered because they had come from all corners of the world to be in this place at this time. And now all of a sudden they're hearing their own language and they're thinking, what is going on? This was the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, the reason why they were in the city of Jerusalem during what's called the day of Pentecost is because Jews those days and still today celebrate several feasts throughout the year. In our um, talks and our messages on Leviticus several months ago, we talked through what those look like. There's Passover feast and a bunch of other ones. Pentecost is one of them. It happens 50 days after 
Passover. Passover is when Jesus died and Pentecost happens 50 days after. It commemorates the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. So in the old days, in the Old Testament, when the law was given by God, they now marked it on the calendar and said, we are going to use this day as a day to honor the Lord and remember him giving us the law. So we just read what happened on the day of Pentecost in verses five and six. Listen again. It says this, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews and devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. They were confused. They were astonished or amazed. I want you to think about something that you might not have connected with Pentecost. Look up right here. Does anybody remember, just raise your hand, I won't call on you. Does anybody remember the story of the Tower of Babel? Anybody? Okay, a good hand of us do. So in the story in Genesis chapter 11, the story of the Tower of Babel is here, and it says they were gathered together in rebellion. That's what it says. It says that they were rebelling. They were choosing to be together and they were going to build a tower to heaven. On the day of Pentecost, the people were gathered not in rebellion, but in submission. There's a comparison to make here that we don't often think about. When they were in Babel, pride is the motivator of what they're doing. They were thinking, we're so great, we can do anything we want. We're going to build a tower so high and tall and blah, blah, blah. And they were so filled with pride. Yet on the day of Pentecost, there is one hallmark. That hallmark is that of humility. It's the people who were gathered together, who were honoring God, because Jesus had said, go to the city of Jerusalem and wait for the gift. How many of you think patience is your strong suit? Anybody? Okay. All right. We're, I'm in good company. There are, might be a few of you that were like, I'm scared people are going to see me. But here's the deal. Most of us are impatient. Jesus said to his disciples and his friends and his followers, go to the city and wait for the promise of the Father. In Babel, at the Tower of Babel, God came down and confused their languages so, so much so that they could no longer work together. They couldn't communicate. I want you to understand the difference and what God's redemption means. Because then on the day of Pentecost, God came down and gave unity to their languages and a purity that they hadn't heard before. So Pentecost is a blessed reversal of the judgment at the Tower of Babel. God did the reverse. He's now redeeming things. And we still have the opportunity to live in that redemption. So when we talk about Pentecost commemorating the giving of the law at Sinai, you can read more about that in your Bible this week by yourself in Exodus chapter 19. So if you're interested, you can find out more about that. But God comes down to... to um, Moses and gives the law and there's some spectacular things that happen in Exodus 19 and, and after that. So both events occur on a mountain. Both events happen to a newly redeemed people. The Exodus marks the birth of the Israelite nation, while Pentecost in Acts 2 marks the birth of Christianity. Both events involved God's people receiving a gift. You might not think the law is a gift, but it is, because you haven't been killed yet, right? 
right? And hopefully if you've been stolen from, it's been returned or that person's been punished. The, the law is a gift. We don't see it that way when we want to break it. Come on. Did you guys need more coffee? I mean, there's pumpkin spice out in the connection center. Listen, we don't think that the law is a gift when we have an evil motivation. But we have to think as mature adults, the law is actually a blessing. God's law that was given in the scripture is actually the foundation of many honest and moral laws that we have today in our country. So the spirit is also a gift that's given. So both of these events, the giving of the law and the giving of the spirit, they both involve God giving his people a gift. Both events happen at the same time on the same month. So when the law was given, there was a loud noise. You can read about it in Exodus chapter 19. A cloud then descends from the mountain. There was fire that happens in Exodus 19. And God himself, I don't know if you know this, but God himself writes on these tablets of stone with his own hand, as we can understand it, these laws to give to the people. That day, people died as a result of rebelling against God. 3,000 of them died. And more than that died in the wilderness. I want you to think about this next time you're tempted to complain. I tell my kids this, and you might think I'm a bad father, but God actually killed people in the Old Testament because they complained. <laughs> You're like, whoa, that's a crazy household to live in. It's a serious deal. If we are complaining, then we are not grateful. Amen? Right? And so there are people in the Old Testament that literally God's judgment fell on them because they wouldn't shut their mouth complaining that he wasn't good enough. He wasn't faithful enough. And they were worried about all the stuff they were dealing with. Listen, when I go through a hard time, I'm tempted to complain just like you. But I have had this self-discipline of trying my best to say with the Holy Spirit's help, Lord, help me not to complain. Help me to see the good in the moment and for God's sake and my own help me to praise him even in the midst of the trial I face because how many of you have something worth complaining about yeah that's a hundred percent of us there's something you don't have enough pay in your paycheck enough grass in your backyard enough whatever it is fill in the blank there are plenty of things to complain about but here's the deal we've got to understand when the law was given these things happened and then people died because they were living in rebellion now let's compare that to when the Holy Spirit is given. On the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, it says this, there was a loud noise. The Holy Spirit descended. There was fire. And God wrote his law on people's hearts. That day, 3,000 people were saved and added to the kingdom of God. It truly is the birth of the church. There is redemption woven all throughout the Bible. And there's redemption in this room today. If your life has been changed by the power of God, if it hasn't yet, today's your chance. To say, Lord, take me from the day like the day of the law given to the day of when the Spirit is given. Take me from all those bad times and that bad place and that bad attitude and that poor focus and those bad sins and bring me to the place of redemption. Change me. Make me just like you. God wants to do a work inside of you. 
Amen? So Christ came in order to restore our relationship with God, and the Holy Spirit comes in order to help us live right. How many of you have ever not lived right? I know, you're like, my arms are getting a workout. Just use the other arm, okay? We've all not lived right, but the Holy Spirit wants to help us to live right or righteously for God. The Holy Spirit wants to empower you to live the life that God's word tells you to live. Church, you need more of the Holy Spirit. You need it for the sake of your marriage. You need it for the sake of your professors. You need it for the sake of your roommates. You need it for the sake of your grandkids and your kids. You need more of the Holy Spirit. And God is limitless in nature. That's what's so amazing. Old preachers used to say, you need more of the Holy Spirit because you leaked out this week, (laughs) right? Because we gave some out. That's why we need more of God's love put in us, parents, right? Because some of it leaked out, it's gone. Our levels have depleted. And now we need the Holy Spirit to pour it back in, amen? So now that we've determined that the Holy Spirit is Pentecostal, you might be asking the question, well, those who experienced it that day, can we still experience Pentecost this day? And the answer is clear in scripture. I want you to look back at Acts chapter two, verse three and four. It says this, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all, say the word all, all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the spirit gave them utterance. I want you to look at me and I want you to all say this word. Say the word tongues. Don't be scared. It's not as crazy as people have made it out to be. If there's anybody in this room who's spirit filled, you can say amen to that. It is not something that's meant as some sort of show. It says here that it was there for God to do a work in people And the way that he can do that, if you've ever read James, James talks about the tongue being a very controlling issue in our life and that we need to submit our tongue to the Lord. I love the fact that the Holy Spirit chooses to use that because that demonstrates my heart is submitted to him. So we shouldn't be afraid of when it says the word tongues because it really just means languages. So just as Christ is received by faith, the Holy Spirit is received by faith. I know a man in New Jersey, uh, he now lives in Indiana, but uh, he prayed and prayed. He had heard messages on the Holy Spirit. He didn't have the experience where he had a bunch of weird stuff in the background or anything like that, but he had, he had heard that the Holy Spirit could help him to live the life that God wanted him to live. He was a believer. He was a church member. He was a tither. He served in the church, and he struggled with something in his life, and he couldn't get rid of this something. We don't need to talk about what it was, but he kept on praying and kept on praying. And then one day after hearing a message on the Holy Spirit, he said, I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit will help me with this thing. And when he prayed that, nothing happened. The next day, he prayed again, Holy Spirit, I need your help. This issue is out of hand. I don't feel like I control it. I need your help. And he prayed and prayed and prayed So much so that he went for several years praying, God, help me. I'm doing the best I can. I'm trying to stop doing this thing that I'm doing, but God, help me with this. Holy Spirit, I need you. 
He tells the story like this. He came into church. He left that day, years later. On his drive home, a worship song came on the radio and he just began to thank God. And he said, Lord, by faith, I'm still asking you to give me the Holy Spirit. I haven't received him yet, but I'm still asking you to just fill me with his, with his power because I need to live for you. And he says, and all of a sudden, the car, the environment changed. He said he could sense the presence of God in his car. He pulled off to the side of the road and just had a little moment with Jesus. Um, and he said, and after that moment, he said that thing in his life was gone, just like that, broke. He didn't have a problem with it anymore because it was the power of the Holy Spirit invading the place that he needed him. We as believers, even your pastor, have places that I need the Holy Spirit to invade. I might not want him to, and that's where the problem really lies. But we need the Holy Spirit to invade the places in us. So the Holy Spirit is received by faith. How can you receive the Holy Spirit? Listen to what Acts chapter 1, verse 4 and 5 says. It says, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, this is Jesus speaking, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. In Acts chapter 2, at the end of the chapter, verse 38 and 39, Peter said to them, the crowd that was there, repent and be baptized. That means turn from your sin. Repent means turn from your sin and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. The gift of the Holy Spirit did not expire. It wasn't just for one generation. It was for multiple generations. And it says, and for all who are far off. I praise God that the Holy Spirit drew me to him, even though I was far off. And it says, everyone whom the Lord our God calls. So the promise is the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Much like being baptized in water, we can be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And it's available to everyone. The New Testament talks repeatedly after these moments in Acts chapter 2 about those who get filled or baptized in the Holy Spirit as well as supernatural signs and wonders that are done by God's power through people who are submitted to him. There are first-time baptisms that happen of the Holy Spirit and there are refillings, resurgencies of the Holy Spirit because we need more of him. This is so important for us to understand. And I don't know what your church background is. I don't know what your theological bias might be, but I am telling you as best I can what's in God's word. And there's a gift that's been hidden from many people for a long time because we've thought differently about it than we should. But when we look at God's word and we see that the gift is the Holy Spirit and that he, he wants to live inside of me, he wants to help me with the decisions I make in my day, he wants to help me with the attitude I have with my spouse, he wants to help me with the choices I make with my money, the career path, he wants, he wants to help you. He just wants to help you. So why shouldn't we allow him to do so? Acts chapter 2, verse 39, when it says the promise is for you, I take that personally. And it's for my kids. 
and it's for all the people that I know who are far off from God, everyone whom the Lord will call. So nowhere in scripture, and I have studied scripture for years now, nowhere in scripture can I find any type of expiration date for the work of the Holy Spirit or for his presence on the earth. There's not a moment that they said, okay, and now the season of the Holy Spirit is done and now we're just going to go into traditional church. Everybody show up, best dressed, come in, put money in the thing, get communion, get prayed for, go home, repeat, wash, repeat, wash, repeat. There's no, no place that it says that that's what it was meant. You were meant for more than just showing up here today right? We've got to really understand that, that there's no expiration date to the Holy Spirit. And Jesus Christ, the Bible says that Jesus Christ in Hebrews is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So to me, I have to have the understanding that our God is a God who is unchangeable. Scripture declares he doesn't change because he doesn't need to change, right? And so the Holy Spirit being God is still available for us even today. So the Holy Spirit wasn't just the catalyst of the early church, wasn't just the fire starter to kind of ignite things. He remains the catalyst of the church today. And this church, there have been some tough moments that we have gone through as a church in these last six years. And I'm telling you, your pastor would not be here had it not been for the Holy Spirit and for his work in my heart. His staying and keeping power. In those seasons and in those moments that we face our toughest challenge or our biggest difficulty, in those moments, that's when we need to reach out and say, Holy Spirit, would you fill me? Would you give me a sense of your presence to to know that you're with me? Would you give me peace, which I know comes from God and not from my circumstance? Things can be crazy down here, but in here, God can be still sitting on the throne of my heart. I I have a choice to allow him to do that. And so I want to just make sure that you understand who the Holy Spirit is and the purpose of him. As the worship team joins me today, I want to tell you about just four benefits of the Holy Spirit. A few of those benefits um, of having the Holy Spirit in our life. At the end of our service, what we do every week, if you're a guest with us, we don't want to freak you out and think, whoa, they're going to do another service in just a second. Uh, Here's what we do. We do what we call an encore. The worship team comes up and they play a song or two and they lead us in that song. We give you an opportunity to receive prayer. We don't call you to the front to embarrass you or anything like that, but we have little prayer stations on each side of the room. Um, Miss Stephanie will be at this one over here and I'll be at this one. And we want to pray for you. You say, Pastor, it's great. I heard the message on the Holy Spirit. I've got the Holy Spirit, but I really am having a health crisis and I really need prayer today for healing. Or my mom is battling fill in the blank and I wanna pray for her. She's not with me today. Pray for it. Let us help you. Let us pray for you. I've been making calls like this for years now and I'm always surprised at how little response sometimes happens. The truth is we all need prayer. Somebody say amen right? We all need prayer. We need prayer for his guidance and his peace. So in just a moment, I'll have a stand and they'll worship. You can worship in your seat and then discreetly you can slip out and get prayed for for any reason, whether it's healing or finance, relationship issues, whatever it is. Let me tell you what these benefits to the Holy Spirit are. 
if you are a Pentecostal, if you're a spirit-filled, spirit-baptized believer, these are some of the benefits that you get. The first is power. Everybody say power. We get power. The Holy Spirit, when he comes upon us, when he baptizes us, when we're baptized in him rather, we receive a power and that power is not to show off in the flesh or to dance a jig up at an altar. That power is meant to be able to give me boldness in my faith so that when I speak to people, I can boldly proclaim the good news that Jesus saves, that he came so that they wouldn't die and have eternal punishment, that they would have eternal life. He came to give me power and then secondarily power over sin. So power to witness and share my faith but power over sin the second benefit is this love you've heard this passage probably read at a wedding first corinthians chapter 13 paul is talking to the church in chapters 12 through 14 about the gifts of the holy spirit in chapter 13 paul says i don't care how many gifts you have if you don't have love it doesn't really matter And we use that at a wedding altar to talk about the love that a man and a woman would have together in their future. But here's the deal. Paul is talking, this is something that can be given from God, helped along and fostered by God. Love is a benefit. Maybe you lack it. Maybe somebody you're dealing with, like your coworker or your boss, lacks it. Then for God's sake and for your own, pray for that person that God would fill them with love, but that God would fill you with love for them as well because that's one of the things the Holy Spirit wants to do. The third is this, fruit. The Bible says in Galatians chapter five that there is fruit of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control against which there is no such law. Nobody will ever put you in jail for being gentle or kind to someone, right? So here's the deal. That's what Galatians 5 says is a benefit of having the spirit in my life. So if I'm lacking peace, if I'm lacking kindness, if I'm lacking faithfulness, if I'm lacking self-control, I'm lacking the Holy Spirit. The fourth benefit is this, gifts. 1 Corinthians 12 lists out those gifts, and we'll talk about them in this series, but they're listed as wisdom, the word of knowledge, the gift of faith, a gift of healing, the working of miracles, prophecy. These things still happen today by people who are submitted to the Holy Spirit's work. It says discerning of spirits, languages, and the interpretation of those languages. I believe that the Holy Spirit's here today, and I want you to stand. He's present in the heart of people. He doesn't live here in this building and wait for you to show up at 1030 on a Sunday. He's with you and he wants to be, here's what Jesus said, he wants to be in you. So I'm going to give you the chance to respond, like I said, for prayer, but also here's the the challenge today. We pray this prayer at the end of every one of our services. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? I believe with all my heart he speaks to you. You might be confused about what he sounds like, but he he spoke to some of you today and said, you know what? I need to ask him to fill me. That's the Holy Spirit leading you to himself. Others, we might need to be refilled. You say, pastor, I was filled at an altar at a kid's camp when I was 13, 14 years old. 
but I, I haven't stayed in touch with him lately. I could really use a fresh dose of the Holy Spirit's power in my life. Then today, just step out during this worship song and receive prayer. Listen to what Acts chapter 19, one and two says. It says, and it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and he came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, some followers of Jesus. Verse two of chapter 19 says, and he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, we haven't even heard that there's a Holy Spirit. And Paul begins to tell them about the Holy Spirit. And then he does this. Maggie, can I borrow you for a second? I'll be Paul, you be a disciple, okay? It says he told them about the Holy Spirit and he says, and it says in this moment of prayer, in communion, connection with God, that he laid his hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Paul was a conduit of the Holy Spirit. God can fill you without anybody touching you. He can fill you in your car today on the way home. But in scripture, in this moment, God used Paul to do it just like that. I promise you, I promise you, if you receive prayer in this church, there is no one that's going to shove you or push you. There is nothing weird that's gonna happen like that. We just want to give ourselves over to the Holy Spirit's work. I don't want you to be afraid of him because I gotta tell you, someone's done a really good job at making believers afraid of the Holy Spirit. And it's not God, it's the enemy who doesn't want you to have this gift. So close your eyes and bow your heads. If you're comfortable with it, lift your hands in a posture of receiving today. Father, I pray in this audience today that there would be people who would turn their hearts to you that they would receive the Holy Spirit. I believe right now there are people who have a hunger in their heart. And so, Lord, as we begin to respond, I just ask that you would speak to us, that you would fill us, that you would give us the fruit of the Spirit in our life, that you would help us to have power to witness and share our faith. Lord, would you do a work inside of us right now as we pray and worship in this last moment together? In Jesus' name, amen. If you want prayer for any reason, you can step out.